We began a couple of weeks ago a series of messages entitled Forgive. If you'll remember the first week, we, we talked about the, the bondage and the bitterness that comes in carrying this baggage of unforgiveness and tried to display it in a physical, tangible sense. These bags have remained here as a symbol for us that what God wants us to do is to bring that baggage, to bring the, the unforgiveness, to bring the bitterness and to, to deposit it at the foot of the cross and walk away. Because we know when we hold on to it that there are repercussions. There's a price to be paid in our relationships with one another, in our relationship with God. But also, there's some things that happen on the inside of us, emotionally, mentally, even physically, how carrying around unforgiveness can harm us. This past Monday, I was talking with someone in the life of our church who has a testimony to exactly what it's done in their lives. And so, Tom Ertle, if you would just come for a moment here at the foot of this cross to share with us a bit of your testimony. Uh, Jimmy shared the effect of unforgiveness and what it can do to your health. He also shared how unforgiveness can lead to bitterness. Well, I have some health problems. Several years ago, I had extensive open-heart surgery, and just last week, I had to wear a monitor to determine what was causing an irregular heartbeat. In addition to that, I have some blockage in my carotid artery and a small aneurysm up here. Now, I tell you this not because I want your sympathy, but because I want to make a point. And I hope the young adults especially will pay attention. The doctors tell me that these physical conditions I have can be attributed to high blood pressure. Well, I and I am absolutely certain that my unforgiveness and bitterness has caused this high blood pressure. Now, as I've matured as a Christian, I've been able to deal with this unforgiveness a lot better. I'm not where I want to be yet, but the process that started on the day I was saved is continually going on. Before I was saved, I was really a piece of work. I carried around mentally two ledgers, a small ledger and a big ledger. And in the small ledger, I'd record things like, you know, you're waiting patiently for that parking spot in front of the restaurant, and somebody, they back out and somebody pulls in right in front of you. Or maybe it was someone who had uh, 11 or 12 Items in the 10 items or less checkout line. I mean, I'd, I'd, I'd make note of all these things and record them. Or, or the really big one is when I'd be going along in cruise control and somebody would pull out in front of me and I'd have to put on the brakes. I mean, that would all get listed. Now, the big things, the big things went in the big ledger. And they might be things like... Uh, a teacher giving me a uh, C minus when I thought I deserved at least a C plus. Or maybe it was uh, not getting the raise uh, that I sh- thought I should have. Or maybe it was somebody saying something derogatory about my sons at an athletic event. Well, those things would get recorded in the big ledger. 
And so I went around for years carrying these two ledgers. And uh, they don't represent baggage quite like this, but let me tell you, these got to be quite a load. Now, what I want to uh, uh, conclude with is just, just tell you that carrying this baggage around, can, it can affect your health. It will, over time, affect your health. And perhaps even more importantly, carrying these ledgers around will rob you of the joy and peace that you deserve and keep you from enjoying the abundant life that Jesus has promised you. Last week we looked at the other side, and Tom led into it well, the other side of the coin, at the blessings of being forgiven by God and also the blessings of forgiving others. When we're willing to lay down that burden, to lay down our our ledgers at the foot of the cross, we don't walk away empty-handed. Instead, what God gives us in exchange for those are peace and contentment and joy. God didn't send us away empty-handed. When we're willing to leave our unforgiveness at the foot of the cross, when we're willing to leave our bitterness at the foot of the cross, God has something to fill our lives with. You don't have to carry that burden anymore. God's got something better for you. Well, this morning what I'd like to do is to take it a step further. We said that forgiving is not optional, but we've also added that it's not easy either. In truth, forgiving people can be one of the hardest things that you ever have to do in your life. Because your hurts are real and your wounds can be awfully deep and betrayal in your life can be devastating. And yet this is what God's word speaks to us. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. That'll take a little while to digest, won't it? Not just forgive, but forgive as the Lord forgave you. And so this morning we want to begin to understand what it means to do that. You may remember that we talked about the word forgiven in Greek, meaning a, uh, the, the Greek word is ephesus, which is not really a big deal for you, but it means to release or dismiss, which is what we talked about right here. To release, to dismiss, to send away. Now I want you to keep that in mind because the word that we encounter here in Colossians chapter 3 is actually a different word, also translated forgive, but it helps us to understand forgiveness. This word is charizomai. It means to extend grace, to show kindness, or to bestow favor. This kind of forgiveness is actually giving grace. And remember, grace is not something that is earned or deserved. Grace is something that is given and received. We've got to grasp that. If we're expecting people to earn our forgiveness, then we're not fully understanding what grace and forgiveness are, at least God's kind of grace and forgiveness. So if we take these two words together, to release, to send away this burden, and on the other, and, and, and on the other side of that, to bestow grace on someone else, what does our definition of forgiveness now look like? To forgive is to release an offense done to us and the bitterness that goes with it and to give grace, undeserved, unearned, to give grace to one who committed the offense. The Bible tells us of God's grace. God demonstrates his own love for us in this. 
while we were still sinners, before we ever did anything to earn God's love or forgiveness, Christ died for us. While we were still marred in our sin, trapped in our sin, burdened by our sin, Christ died for us. Neither you nor I earned salvation. Neither you nor I deserve God's love. But because we have placed our faith in Jesus Christ and what he has done for us on the cross, God gives to us by his grace forgiveness. And he releases us from the penalty of our sin and the guilt of our sin. And he gives us in its place life. The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Jesus Christ our Lord. Now, as you and I fathom the depths of forgiveness, we come face to face with a God of infinite love and boundless grace and overflowing mercy. And as we consider his forgiveness, let us hear once more what God says to us. It is by grace that you've been saved, through faith. It's not of yourselves. It's the gift of God. It's not achieved by works so that you nor I can boast about it. If we're going to understand forgiveness, then we've got to understand grace. If we're going to do as God tells us and to forgive as the Lord forgave you, then we've got to understand grace. And I've got to tell you, folks, some of you, are going to check out on the forgiveness wagon today. Some of you are going to say, Jimmy, I've been with you so far, but after today, I'm going to pick my bag back up and I'm going to take it out with me. Because what I tell you today is harder than anything I've told you before. In order for us to understand God's grace and God's forgiveness so that we then can um, imitate it in our own lives, Jesus helps us by telling us telling us a story. If you have your Bibles, I invite you to turn to uh, Matthew's Gospel, the 18th chapter. Matthew chapter 18. We're going to look at verses 21 to 35. Matthew chapter 18, 21 to 35. I want to encourage you to open your Bibles to that if you brought them. If you didn't, the words are going to be on the screen. No big deal. But you may want to underline, highlight, asterisk, whatever you need to do in your Bible in order to, to let God speak to you after this message is over. Matthew chapter 18. Then Peter came to Jesus and he asked, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother when he sins against me? Up to seven times? Jesus answered, I tell you, not seven times, but seventy-seven times. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven is like a king who wanted to settle his accounts with his servants. As he began the settlement, a man who owed him 10,000 talents was brought to him. Since he was not able to pay, the master ordered that he and his wife and his children and all that he had be sold to repay the debt. The servant fell on his knees before him. Be patient with me, he begged, and I will pay back everything. The servant's master took pity on him, canceled the debt, and let him go. But when the servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii. He grabbed him and began to choke him. Pay back what you owe me, he demanded. His fellow servant fell to his knees and begged him, be patient with me. I'll pay you back. 
But he refused, and instead he went off and had the man thrown into prison until he could pay the debt. When the other servants saw what had happened, they were greatly distressed, and they went and told their master everything that had happened. Then the master called the servant in. You wicked servant, he said. I canceled all that debt of yours because you begged me to. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had mercy on you? In anger, his master turned him over to the jailers to be tortured until he should pay back all he owed. And This is how my heavenly father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother from your heart. Heavenly Father, we choke on these words. Help us to understand them and find a way to apply them. For we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Jesus had talked about forgiving. And in the process of talking about forgiving, it triggered something in Peter's mind. Now, I don't know whether Peter had had an experience like Tom had had, where someone pulled over in front of him and slowed down. Or someone got in front of him in line with more than the ten items allowed. I'm not sure exactly what it was that Peter had in mind, but I can almost guarantee you Peter had something in mind. He was looking for the loophole here as Jesus talked about forgiveness. And he asked a question, how many times shall I forgive my brother? And then he offers an answer. Up to seven times? Now, When we think about that, it may not strike us until we remember that Jewish tradition said that you you were required to forgive a person up to three times. And after that, hey, you could run them off the road. After that, hey, there's no holes barred. You don't have to forgive them anymore after three times. And so when Peter comes up and says up to seven times, he's being extraordinarily generous. Maybe he expects Jesus to pat him on the head and say, good boy. Maybe he expects Jesus to be impressed or the other disciples to be impressed with just how gracious he is. But Jesus' answer is radical. It would be absolutely startling. Not seven times, he said, and depending on the translation, and it can be translated either way, either 77 times, the way we heard it this morning, or 70 times seven, which would be equivalent to 490. But the number itself is not as significant as what Jesus was trying to teach about forgiveness. And that is that forgiveness is something far greater and far grander than Peter or anyone else had imagined. It is not a matter of where do we find the line where we don't get to forgive anymore. He wanted to teach Peter and the disciples and all of us about God's forgiveness, because our forgiveness is modeled after Him, His. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. And so we need to understand just how big, grand, great is the forgiveness of God. And so he tells this story that we've come to know as the parable of the unmerciful servant. First he begins by talking about the mercy of the king. A king who has forgiven a servant a huge sum of money. According to Josephus, who was a Jewish historian, the total tax revenue for Judea, Idumea, Samaria, Galilee, and Perea for one year amounted to 800 talents. That was the entire tax revenue over that region for a year. The sum forgiven this servant was how much? 
10,000 talents. That's staggering. Estimates of what it would be in today's dollars put it in the tens of billions of dollars. How this man could have accumulated so much debt, I don't know. That's not the point. The point is, here was a man who owed the king so much money that in a thousand lifetimes, he'd never be able to pay it back. He's caught. And he comes before the king, begging for the time to pay it back. Now, there's a second servant in the story. And when the first servant is forgiven the tens of billions of dollars... He goes out and he finds a fellow servant who owed him some money. Now, this wouldn't be like 20 bucks. This would be a few hundred dollars. But what we need to understand is the comparison between what the king forgave and what this other man actually owed the forgiven servant. 10,000 talents was more than 600,000 times the 100 denarii. It was the 100 denarii is no small debt. But when compared to what he owed the king, there's no comparison. It's not even in the same ballpark. You're talking about your checkbook versus the checkbook of the U.S. government, okay? That's the discrepancy here. That, that's the big difference that we have here. It is major, and that's what Jesus is doing. He is drawing a picture that is so extreme that you can't help but see the point that he's trying to make. Now remember, the king, when this man came in, the king completely cancels the debt. That tells us something about the king, right? It tells us two things. First of all, it tells us that his wealth is incomparable. He can afford it. But secondly, it tells us just how gracious and loving and forgiving the king is. And the king in the story is God. If you'd been forgiven that debt and you ran into someone who owed you a few hundred bucks, what would your attitude be? You would think he'd have been on cloud nine. You'd have think he'd have gone out and just shared the wealth, baby. But he didn't. He finds this person who owes him a few hundred bucks. He grabs him by the neck, which was, by the way, his right. In that day and time, there was no personal private space. (laughs) You know, he invaded his space, got in his face, demanded he paid the money, and when he couldn't, did you notice the plea of both servants sounded remarkably similar? You would have thought that it would have... It would have pricked something in his heart, that it would have replayed something in his mind. That he's using the same words to beg for forgiveness that the the servant who had owed 10,000 talents had used to beg for the king, but no. And he had him thrown into prison. Now, you saw what happened with the end of the story when the king found out it. Well, he was ticked, and that was Jesus' point. Those who are forgiven such a great amount are now called to be forgiving of others. With this parable in mind, then, let's ask this question. How how can we forgive others? And let's keep this in mind. First of all, we must recognize the depth of our sin and depravity. 
The picture that Jesus paints of the first servant is pretty dire. The debt was literally impossible to repay in a thousand lifetimes. It was overwhelming, crushing, and all-consuming. And the servant deserved the harshest possible punishment. That's the picture that's painted. He's sold into slavery. His wife's sold into slavery. His children are sold into slavery. Everything he had is sold. It still can't pay the debt. But everything he had, he would lose. We tend to underestimate the weight of our sin, don't we? We rename it. We relabel it. We excuse it. We rationalize it. But sin, our sin before we became followers of Jesus Christ, do you know how we were? This is what the Bible says. As for you, you were dead. Dead, dead, dead in your transgressions and sins. We were by nature objects of wrath. Now what is this saying about our sin? Our sin is an absolute abomination in the sight of a holy God. Our sin turns God's stomach. He is utterly and completely holy. Our sin is an affront to Him. It is rebellion to Him. And therefore, we were spiritually dead before we came to Christ. We were not only dead, we were God's enemies. We were the army of death. And we were under God's wrath. We were deserving that complete, total, destructive kind of punishment that God could and have every right to deal our way. We underestimate sin. We rename sin. We relabel sin. We rationalize sin. But we need to understand that our sin is deadly. Our sin is an affront to God. And before we were in Christ, we were God's enemies. Let's understand that. We were in the position of that man who owed a debt he could not pay before Christ. So if we're going to begin to forgive others, and the first thing we've got to do is to understand just how big a debt we had, just how much we have been forgiven. If we don't get that, we will never understand forgiveness the way God forgives. Secondly, we've got to recognize the magnitude of the forgiveness that we receive from a loving God. We've got to know just how bad our sin is, but we've also got to know just how big God's forgiveness is. Ephesians chapter 2 says this, Because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in our transgressions. It is by grace that you have been saved, and God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of God's grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. This is a powerful verse. Verses. We were dead. We were objects of God's wrath. But in Christ we've been raised up and we have been seated in the heavenly realms with Christ Jesus. We've been pulled out of the slums. We've been pulled off the streets. We have been brought into the very presence of God where we remain with Him. And why? So that God's incomparable riches of His grace. Remember, the king's supply is inexhaustible. 
that God's incomparable riches and grace might be expressed and how kind he has been to us in Christ Jesus, not giving us what we deserve, but instead giving us life in Christ. In that verse, if you go back and you take a look at the first part, I want, I want you to do me a favor. If you've been through beginning with grace, and then you've already done this in your little workbook, but I want you to do this on your sheet this morning, if you don't mind. There are two words in there that I want you to circle, and that is the first word is mercy. God who is rich in mercy. Circle that word mercy, and then down a little bit further, you run into the word grace. It is by grace that you have been saved. And I want to give you a couple of layman definitions for that, just simple definitions to help you understand the difference between mercy and grace because these are both expressions of the loving kindness of God. The first word mercy means that you don't get what you deserve. If you were a criminal and you went up before a judge, you could throw yourself perhaps on the mercy of the court. What you're saying is, I'm as guilty as sin, but I'm asking that you don't throw the book at me. I'm asking that you cut me some slack. And mercy is God cutting us slack big time not giving us what we deserve. The word grace, on the other hand, is getting what you don't deserve. In fact, the word grace is also the word gift, getting what you don't deserve. So on the one hand, God doesn't give us what we do deserve. On the other hand, God gives us what we don't deserve. Now again, we're trying to understand God's love. We're trying to understand God's forgiveness. These words are key for us to grasp that. We've got to recognize just how big God's grace and mercy and forgiveness are. You see, the crushing weight of our sin, no, if you stacked up all, you know, if all those bags were stacked all the way up and that was the sin that you brought to the cross, none of that, none of that can stand up to the overwhelming grace of God. It's not even close. When we receive Jesus Christ by faith, the debt is paid in full and we walk away from that burden with freedom and joy think about this on the cross jesus said it is finished paid in full the debt is done away with my blood covers it all that is how big god's grace is that no matter what you've done in your life no matter how many mistakes you've made, no matter how badly you've blown it, God's grace is always greater. Third, we need to recognize the limited nature of what has been done to us. And here is where some of you are going to check out. In this story, it is the contrast between being forgiven so much and being unwilling to forgive so little that is the whole point of the story. Being forgiven so much on one hand and being unwilling to forgive so little on the other hand, this is the point that Jesus is trying to drive home. Now, before you get upset with me, understand that I am not belittling the hurts done to you. You have been hurt. You have been betrayed. You have been abused. You have been taunted. People have done things to you. They have slandered your name. They have hurt your family. They have taken property, things that belong to you. You have been hurt. I'm not belittling that. Your wounds are real. Your pain is real. What I'm saying is this. There's not a one of us who can look into the face of God and say, 
God, you don't understand how hard it is for me to forgive. There's not a one of us who can look into the face of God and say, God, what I have to forgive is far greater than what you had to forgive. That my forgiveness, you don't understand it, God. You just don't get it. God gets it. You see, the price that God was willing to pay for your sin and for my sin, the price that God was willing to pay to bring us from being dead to being alive, from being his enemies to being his children, the price that God was willing to pay was the life of his own son. Get this. The price that God paid for your sin and my sin was his son. You and I owed the bill. God himself paid the price. That is grace. That is mercy. That is love. That is forgiveness. And that's hard. Whatever it costs us to forgive, it costs God far more. And yet he forgave. Let's move on to the fourth point. And that is this. We must rely on the indwelling power of the Holy Spirit to enable us to do what we cannot do on our own. Boy, after hearing that last point, we need this one. Because, you know, I'm not sure I can forgive that. I'm not sure I can, I can deal with that. I, 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 I just I don't know that I can let it go. I, I, don't know that I, can, I don't know that I can release the bitterness. I don't know that I can release the anger. I don't know that I can release the pain into the hands of God. I just don't know that I can do that. Jimmy, you just don't know what they've done to me. You just don't know how badly I've been hurt. You just don't know how much I've been abused. You just don't know. You're right, I don't. But God does. Because he's been hurt and abused and neglected and maligned far more than any of us will ever know. And yet he forgave. When, when we understand and accept the full weight of our sin, not excusing it, when we come to embrace the, the magnitude of God's grace and mercy and forgiveness, and when we, even when we accept the fact that what was done to us pales in comparison to what was done to Jesus, forgiveness still is not automatic and it's not easy. You see, you can say, I forgive you with your mouth. Well, what we've got to understand is that the forgiveness that God calls us to kind of goes beyond that. If you've had children, you've, <laughs> you've told one to apologize to one and the other one to forgive the other one, and you've heard the words, but you kind of figured, <laughs> I'm not sure you quite got it. Did you see, as we read this story, as Jesus is wrapping it up at the very end, he says this, forgive your brother from your heart. <laughs> it's not just a matter of saying the words. You can say the words and fake it, but forgive your brother from your heart. I want to give you a contrast to what Tom shared a little earlier. Former First Lady and current Secretary of State Hillary Clinton said, In the Bible, it says they asked Jesus how many times you should forgive, and he said 70 times 7. Well, I want you to know that I'm keeping a chart. Now, politics aside, don't know what you think of Hillary Clinton? Not really important. But you know what Hillary Clinton said was, I'm keeping a ledger. I'm keeping a list. That is not the kind of forgiveness that Jesus is talking about. That's not forgiveness from the heart. So what does forgiveness from the heart look like? Let me just share with you kind of a picture of it. 
Forgiveness from the heart is canceling the debt and setting the captive free. Now notice, last couple of weeks we've said this. When you set the captive free, what you find out is you were the one holding yourself captive all along. Unforgiveness puts you in bondage. Forgiveness sets you free as well as canceling the debt. Secondly, forgiveness from the heart is laying laying aside our, our supposed right to get even. Forgiveness is saying, okay, listen, I understand that you can never repay me for what you've done. You really can't. Just like the servant could have never repaid the king. Never. I understand you can't repay me. You can't restore my good name. You can't can't fix what you've stolen from me. You can't heal this wound that I have inside. You can't go back and undo the betrayal in my life. But I'm giving up. I'm releasing my right to revenge, to getting even with you. Forgiveness from the heart is also refusing to hold on to resentment and bitterness. Not only am I going to, I'm going to let it go. I'm not going to hold on to it. I'm not going to nurse it. Remember on that first Sunday in our little skit, as she's going through and pulling the things out of the bag and remembering and reflecting on, on this hurt, you're not going to forget it. But you've got to let go of the resentment and the bitterness. And then finally, forgiveness from the heart is supernatural forgiveness. Hey, remember, you don't do this on your own. If you did, you'd be a woeful failure. You can't do this. This is something that God can do through you, but on your own, you're not going to be able to do it. That is what forgiveness from the heart looks like. So now, how do I get from where I am today to the point of forgiveness? We've called this all the way a journey, and it is. There will be times on your journey where you will take a little side road. There will be times on your journey where you'll backtrack a little bit. But you are on a journey to forgiveness. And what you're going to discover is you'll think you've cleaned these bags out. And all of a sudden you'll find something else in there. And you'll have to deal with it all over again. I told you it wasn't going to be easy. So how do we get from where we are to forgiveness. I want to just give you three final points that may help. These are steps on that road to forgiveness. The first is this, choose to forgive. (laughs) If you don't choose to forgive, guess what? It's not happening. You've got to look at that offense and you have to make a conscious choice. I am going to forgive this. It may not happen today. It may not happen tomorrow, but I'm putting my feet on the path to forgiving. The second point is this, forgive from the heart. It is not simply saying it with your mouth. It is actually doing it from inside. And in order to do that, the third step is critical. Trust God to give you what you lack. When you come to this point and you recognize, I need to get my feet on this path to forgiveness. I need to be moving this way. I don't need to just do it on the surface level where I just say it but hold on to it inside. I really need to forgive from my heart. It is at that point you recognize, I don't have the resources. You go to the one whose resources are limited, unlimited, and he supplies what you lack. Here's your verse for the week. Here's your verse for the week. 
Philippians chapter 4, verse 13. I don't ask you to memorize a lot, but you do well to keep this one close. I can do everything through Him who gives me strength. God, I know you're calling me to forgive. I'm making a choice today to put my feet on that path. I want to do it really from the heart, not just not just something I say. But God, I can't do it on my own. And that's okay. Because in Christ Jesus, who gives you the strength, you can do all things that God calls you to do.